In his book, The Divine Commodity, uh, Sky Jathani uh, shares a story from a time when he uh, took a trip with his father to India a number of years ago. While walking the streets of New Delhi, um, a little boy approached the two of them. Jathani writes, he was skinny as a rail and naked, but for tattered blue shorts. His legs were stiff and contorted like a wire hanger twisted upon itself. Because of his condition, the little boy could only waddle along on his callous knees. He made his way towards Sky, and his father cried out, One rupee, please. One rupee. Sky describes what happened when his father eventually responded to the boy's persistent begging. What do you want? My father asked. One rupee, sir. The boy said while motioning his hand to his mouth and also bowing his head in deference. My father laughed. How about I give you five rupees? (laughs) The boy's submissive countenance suddenly suddenly became defiant. He reacted, uh, retracted his hand and sneered at us. He thought my father was, was joking, that my father was having a laugh at his expense. After all, no one would be willing to give up five rupees. The boy started shuffling away, mumbling curses underneath his breath. My father reached into his pocket. Hearing the coins jingle, the boy stopped and looked back over his shoulder. My father was now holding a five-rupee coin. He approached the stunned boy and placed that coin in that boy's little hand. The boy didn't move or say a word. He just stared at that coin in his hand. We passed him and then proceeded to cross the street. A moment later, the shouting resumed, except this time, this time the boy was yelling, thank you, thank you, bless you. He raced after us once again, but not for more money, but rather to touch my father's feet. Our heavenly father, Friends, our Heavenly Father has responded to you and I as miserable creatures desperate, uh, in, in desperate need of his help with much more than five rupees. He has overwhelmed us with his blessings. And because of them, our response, our response should be to honor and to worship and to praise his name. Should be to live in honor of him. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians this morning, the book of Ephesians. Maybe you'll find that in your phone app, your Bible app on your phone, or take one of those pew Bibles that are in front of you. Turn with me to Ephesians, because this uh, fall, we are going to take a look and do a deep dive into this powerful letter and um, its word for us as God's church. His word for us as God's church together. And listen, I want to also invite you, um, um, if you haven't yet connected into a small group, um, to get connected into a small group, you can contact Pastor Jay or you can talk to someone at the Welcome Center or one of the staff. 
We want to get you connected into a community where you can uh, look together. Our small groups are going to be going along in Ephesians. As I preach on Sunday morning, they're going to be taking some time and uh, talking about it, digging deeper, having an opportunity to apply what we have learned, what they learn as they dig into Ephesians. So we want to encourage you to get in one of those small groups. You can find, in fact, um, out there at the Welcome Center, the first week's um, uh, just a document a study on Ephesians. And if you are just wanting to do that along uh, by yourself, you can also find it online in our sermon notes. You can go there and click, and next to the sermon notes online um, is uh, this study of Ephesians. So we want to invite you to do that. If you got your book, uh, Bibles open to Ephesians, I want you to understand Ephesians is a letter. Okay, and like all letters, it starts out with, with a greeting, right? Um, our letters start out with greetings like, uh, um, Dear Susie, or Dear Joel. <laughs> um, but the letters of Paul's days, instead what they did, they began um, those letters with the name of the letter writer. So you see here, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Then comes the recipient's name. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. And notice uh, that this uh, letter is addressed to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, saints is our translation for holy, meaning uh, being set apart for God. Saints are people who belong to God. Um, it, it's not the term, you know, that is used in our popular culture today. Here, you know, we just talk about someone being a saint. We, we, we expect them, oh, that means they're extra holy, you know. Uh, they're, they're, they're good people. But Paul here, he's not necessarily talking about that. But Paul's doing, he's, he's talking to those who are in Christ, saints, those who are in Christ, those who belong to the family of God. Now, a couple things I want to take note of as we begin this series going through Ephesians. A couple things you'll, you'll notice um, in this series. First of all, I want you to note this expression that Paul uses here at the end of verse 1. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Um, we'll run into that phrase, in Christ Jesus, 36 times in this book. In fact, we'll run into these uh, in the first 14 verses, the ones we're going to look at this morning. The first 14 verses, Paul repeats that phrase or um, the phrase in him 10 times in those 14 verses. When Paul uses that phrase, listen, he is not talking about people believing in Christ. Instead, what he's referring to is our position in Christ. He's talking about our union with Christ and the fact that when we are in Christ, we are in the family of God. There's a second thing that we're going to see running through this letter, and, and that's God's family. Uh, for example, in, in verse 2, what you read here is our Father. He says, peace from God, our Father. Um, down in verse 5 here, you'll read that describes um, believers as God's adopted sons and daughters. Later on in, in chapter 2, Paul reminds us, uh, those who are in Christ, that we are members of God's household or God's family. 
And then in chapter 5, as he begins chapter 5, um, he says, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Um, Paul reminds us oftentimes that we are, through this letter, he's describing us together as God's family. The President of the United States is not always seated at his desk in the White House. Um, but that executive chair represents the sphere of his life and, and power because no matter where the President of the United States goes, he is the president, right? Because only he has the privilege of sitting in that chair behind that desk. Likewise, positionally, catch this, positionally, because we are in Christ, no matter where we may be on this earth, we are seated in the heavenlies with Jesus Christ. And all the blessings that God has set aside for his family are ours to claim and live in the power of. You say, so, so what are the blessings? Well, starting in verse 3 here, through verse 14, Paul lists at least six blessings that God has poured out upon us. I mean, I, I look at these, these six blessings, these six wonderful, amazing blessings. They, they, they seem to tumble from Paul's pen here in these first 14 verses, like, like uh, after a heavy rain, the water pours over uh, Minnehaha Falls. He has chosen us. God has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has forgiven us. He has revealed to us, and he has sealed us. Now, let's slow down. Let's take them one at a time this morning. One at a time. First of all, he has chosen us. Look with me at verse 4. Verse 3, starting there. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Um, do you note the timing of this Choosing, we are chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. In other words, um, in pre-creation eternity, God purposed to make us his children. If you have a Bible that you underline um, in, you might just underline that phrase. Um, he chose us in him. It's a powerful phrase. It's a powerful reminder of God's blessing. He determined to make us who did not exist his own children through the redeeming work of Christ who, which had not taken place yet. Incredible. <laughs> Incredible blessing. The moment that a person realizes that God has chosen them that God acted towards them first, that God values them, their whole outlook on life changes. Do you realize God's chosen you? When was the last time you gave thanks to God for the fact that he chose you? That he slipped his hands into the ranks of humanity and he chose you to be in his family. You're chosen. What a blessing. Second, he adopted us. Look with me at verse 5. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, some uh, people um, are put off by Paul's language here um, of, of adoption because it seems rather gender insensitive, right? Adoption, he says, um, as sons. Um, they argue, wouldn't it have been better for Paul to have said, um, uh, God adopted us as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ? Well, yes, it would have, but then it would have missed a very significant point. I picked this up from uh, Tim Keller a number of years ago, and I want you to see here what Paul is really doing when he says that adoption, um, uses that phrase adoption um, as sons, what he's doing here is, is he's doing something extremely radical, extremely radical. Adoption, you got to understand, in the ancient world uh, was, uh, like ours, a legal institution. But unlike today, in that world, adoption always, almost always was done when a man who was wealthy but didn't have any children to inherit um, his land or his wealth uh, would adopt a boy or adopt a young man to become his heir. Um, that was never done for women in that, in that world. Women in that world were never adopted to become heirs of an estate. Only men. And that's why to be adopted literally means you are adopted into sonship. You are a son. You are an heir. But Paul here what he's doing, he has the audacity to take this legal institution in which only men participated and then turn it to apply to all Christians, men and women. Do you notice how many times Paul uses the inclusive uh, us in these verses? In fact, start up with me in verse 3. Who has blessed us in Christ. In verse 4, even as he chose us in him, um, it, the, that we... Uh, should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Us, all of us, men and women, for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, saying to all of us, he, he's saying, you have an equal share in the inherited glory through Jesus Christ and equal access to the love and commitment of God as an adopted child of God's. Men and women, all of you, have that equal share, that privilege, that blessing. I mean, that's a radical truth. <laughs> and this is a gift that God has done for all of us. God has adopted all of us into sonship. Okay, you say, well, so what? What's the big deal? What does adoption in sonship give us in our relationship with, with God? Let me draw out a couple of different um, blessings that come from our adoption. Um, as most of you know, Becky and I have, uh, both of our children are adopted. And so there's a, a specific, there's a particular uh, piece. I just, uh, just enjoy drawing out from this piece. Uh, the first thing is adoption gives us a new identity. It gives us a new identity. You get a brand new name. You get a, a, a new start. In fact, later on in chapter 2, verse 2, uh, Paul reminds us that once you were 
uh, sons of disobedience, children of wrath, he says. But now, since you are adopted, you and I, we have a, a new identity. <laughs> Adoption, it gives you a new family, doesn't it? I mean, that truth came home for, for us when we adopted our, our children. Uh, when we adopted our daughter, Hope, one of the most incredible moments um, for me was when we went to the U.S. consulate in Guangzhou, uh, Guangzhou China. And we arrived at that, at that U.S. consulate um, about mid-morning, and there's this huge crowd of uh, Chinese nationals standing around that, that gate, um, trying to get in. Some had been there for hours. Some maybe had been there all night long, just waiting, hoping that they could get through that gate and, and get into the U.S. And here was Hope, our little daughter, 13 uh, months old, who just days before couldn't have gone through that gate and into that building, but now as our adopted daughter, she entered in to that gate, into that yard, no questions asked. Why? <laughs> because she had a new family. She had a new identity. She was now a Sutton. <laughs> See, before we were in Christ, we had no rights in his heavenly family. But now as God's adopted children, he has taken us into his, his a family and we have the full rights of a family member. And you only get that through adoption. Second, adoption gives you unconditional access to God's love and protection and attention forever. Do you notice that phrase that comes there at the very beginning uh, well, very end of verse 4. He says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons. Our adoption comes out of a motivation of love from our Heavenly Father. As children of God, he has given us the privilege to be able to call him Father, Abba, Daddy. And because we are one of his, his children, we have this unconditional access to God's love and protection and attention. On our way to the government building there in China to have Hope put into our arms to meet her for the very first time, our Chinese representative, uh, you know, um, guide um, that was there stood up in, in, in uh, front of this small bus that we were all traveling in. There was a number of different uh, uh, parents that were all traveling to this government center. And... Uh, he stood up in front of that bus and he told us that we would um, have to, we would be asked three questions by the government officials there in, in China. The first question was, why do you want to adopt a baby from China? The second question was, are you able to financially provide for this baby? And the final question was, do you promise to care for, um, never abandon or abuse the baby and to love her? And the answer that Representative told us is he stood up there, make sure you say, yes, we promise. <laughs> make sure you say that very clearly. Listen, that's what happens because you are adopted into sonship. You have God's promise that he will care for you and that he, he will protect you. You have his attention, friends. 
because you're in God's family. You've been adopted. You, you don't have to beg for his attention. You don't have to pay for it or earn it. You have his, his ear. You have his time. You have his love. God has chosen us. He has adopted us. Third, he has redeemed us. Look at verse 7. It says here, In him we have redemption through his blood. That term redemption, it sounds like this weighty theological term, but really it was a, a, a term that was used in the, in the business world, the trade world. Um, to redeem means, uh, um, something means to buy it. Um, because Paul was writing to a slave culture, it was also called a ransom. We were in slavery. You and I, we were once born not right with God, but rather wrong with God. We were all in slavery to, to, to sin. We didn't have the power to not sin. And look how this word, how it is related. Look what he says there. In him we have redemption, what? Through his blood. In other words, the price paid for our freedom from sin was the blood of Jesus Christ. That was what Good Friday, that's what Easter is all about. Now I'm going to use um, a low illustration for this. Um, I don't mean to demean the, or, or lower the importance or significance of the cross in any way. I just, I just want to make sure this concept is accessible for us, that we understand the power of this. Let's say someone comes to you and they... Uh, Say, hey, let's, let's go out to eat. Uh, we're going out to eat. Do you want to come with us? You say, well, sure, absolutely. There's about 10 at the table at the restaurant. When you, and when you sit down, you flip open the menu, and you see the prices of that restaurant. Well, <laughs> um, they're a little bit above uh, your ability. Uh, you know, um, you realize this is not a restaurant you uh, really belong at. <laughs> um, you spend that whole meal um, feeling uncomfortable, uh, worried about what's this going to do to your budget. It's going to break your budget, just destroy your, your budget at all. And at the end of the meal, you get ready to pay, but then someone comes up and says, oh, hey, don't worry about it. The, the guy at the end of the table, he, he's picking up the whole tab. How do you feel? Relieved? Grateful? <laughs> you bet. Again, I, I don't want to lower the significance of the crucifixion. I, I just want you to understand this reality that someone has picked up the bill for you. Christianity is not about doing enough for God so that he finally uh, likes you. No, God buys us our freedom. He has re redeems us through Jesus Christ hanging there on that cross. God has chosen us, he's adopted us, he's redeemed us and forgiven us. That's the fourth blessing. Look with me at verse seven again. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. God's blessing of forgiveness, amazing, comes with his redemption. He has forgiven us of our sins according to the riches of his grace, which is infinite. 
which verse 8 tells us he has lavished upon us. In other words, God has forgiven you of all your sins. Just think about this. Not most of them. Not all, but the very worst. But all of them. Past, present, and future. As far as the east is from the west. Listen, you don't have to live in shame anymore because you've been forgiven. You don't have to live with this sense of guilt anymore because you've been forgiven because you are now in Christ and therefore in the family of God, your sins have been forgiven. Is there any better word than forgiveness? Is there any better feeling than the relief that comes with being forgiven? When I'm sick, I, I love being relieved of my fever. When I'm lost, I love being relieved from that sense of lostness by being found. <laughs> when I'm lonely, I, I love the, the relief that comes um, through companionship. When I'm a sinner, I can think of nothing better than the relief of being forgiven. God's blessings are piling up, aren't they? God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us, and he has forgiven us. And number five, he has revealed to us. Look with me at verse nine. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When you read that word mystery there, um, don't confuse it with the uh, mysteries, you know, that are hard to figure out, like a Sherlock Holmes mystery. Um, you know, you can't just figure out this, minute, this mystery by, by some sense of deduction. Now, the Greek word here um, means that whatever it is, that this mystery is impossible for us to work out. It's so mysterious, in fact, that's beyond our ability to ever figure out. But that which we cannot figure out <laughs> has been revealed to us. It's been made known to us. This mystery, the mystery of his, his will, a, a truth once hidden has been made known. Moses didn't know it. Think about this. Moses didn't know it. King David of the Old Testament, he, he didn't know it. The, the Old Testament prophets, they didn't know it. What's the mystery? It's God's plan to bring all things together under one head, Jesus Christ. We have truly been blessed, haven't we? God has revealed to you and I, who in a living day age, when God has revealed to us the, the gospel, He's revealed to uh, us um, that in Christ we, we belong to His family, that, that there are no lines of demarcation, no Gentile or Jew, no male or female. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. The barrier, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. In Christ, we are all family. What a miracle. What a mystery that has now been revealed. A sixth benefit. We have been sealed. Look with me at verses 13 and 14. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you've ever wondered how to know Christ, it's right here in these verses. Do you see this? Look at this process. First, he says, when you have heard the word of truth, that is, when you have listened to the message of the good news, when you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, you hear the truth. And then second, he says, you believed in him. It takes a trusting, it takes a, a, a surrendering. And then having believed, you were sealed. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is given the Holy Spirit the moment he or she trusts in God and we are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit. A, a seal, I mean, it's a mark of ownership. It, it's a mark of authenticity. Cattle are branded with the seal by their owners um, in order to indicate uh, to whom they belong. <laughs> While branding is external, um, God's sealing is internal. It's in the heart. God puts his spirit within his people in order to mark them as his own. The Holy Spirit is also a down payment that guarantees that God's, that God's will will complete. He'll complete the work that he has begun. In other words, the Holy Spirit is God's first installment on our salvation and guarantee that his plan for us in the future that's with him. God's spirit is God's gift to us, showing us that we are his, that we belong to him. These six blessings, <laughs> they're ours. God has chosen us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us and forgiven us and revealed to us, and he has sealed us. They are spiritual blessings, which means, I know, they, they, sometimes they can be difficult for us to see. Paul's not talking here about a health and wealth gospel. These blessings are just as true for those who are enduring persecution in a worn, torn African nation as it is for you and I sitting here this morning in the United States. So how are we to respond to these blessings? Well, do you remember the story that I began with about that little boy um, in New Delhi who was begging for money? Remember what his response was to Sky's father after he had been given that five rupee coin? Sky tells us, a moment later, the shouting resumed, except this time the boy was yelling, thank you, thank you, sir, bless you. And he raced after us once again, but not for more money, but rather to touch my father's feet. Friends, that should be our response to God's incredible blessings. Do you notice how throughout this whole passage that Paul breaks out in praise? Look with me, starting verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
Look with me down in verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Then look down with me in verse 12. What he says here. So that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Then the end of verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession to the praise of his glory. Praise of his glory. Worship him. That is to be our response to his blessings in our lives. Becky and I just uh, returned from a vacation um, over in Italy. Um, we saw some amazing pieces of art over there, um, including Michelangelo's ceiling painting of uh, the Sistine Chapel. Incredible painting. I mean, I stood there just looking up to my neck got sore as we just kept looking up and I kept looking at all these details of this, of this painting. So many small details. But you know, when I walked away, when we walked out of the Sistine Chapel, I found myself saying, wow, Michelangelo, incredible painter, incredible artist, amazing. In the same way, despite the many details that we have in this passage, and there's lots of them, you can have fun just digging into them. Paul's goal here is that all of us walk away saying, wow, God, amazing. What an amazing artist. What an incredible God you are. He wants us to walk away praising God. Friends, we have been blessed more than we realize by God. And praising him is our only and our best response to all of his blessings. During a visit to Grandma and Grandpa's, two young girls watched from the breakfast table as a man knocked on the front door. The the Grandpa went to the front door and... and, um, answered the front door, and when the visitor left, Grandpa came back and he explained that the person at the front door was an appraiser. What's an appraiser? The youngest sister asked. Well, before Grandpa could explain, the older sister quickly jumped in and cleared it all up. She said, he's a appraiser. He goes to church every Sunday. <laughs> Listen, the God who values us deserves our worship. The God who has blessed us so richly deserves our praise. Our best response to God and all of his blessings is praise and worship. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up in front. and As they're coming, I'm going to just invite you just to take a moment right there where you're at. I want to invite you to spend some time just praising God. Spend some time in prayer, praising God. Maybe pick one of these six blessings and say, God, I just want to spend some time thanking you, praising you for that rich blessing. Spend some time doing that just right now, quietly in your seats.